land and uh, pray that we would learn from them. What have we got? Um, okay, this, uh, this past Sunday on our, after our um, Zoom service, we had our AGM. So if you would like to watch that, there is a link to it in the email that, C, uh, that Sylvia sent out earlier this week. Um, and if you didn't get that and you would like to watch, um, contact Sylvia and she will send you the link to the email and also the code that you need to watch that. Um, we can put that in the chat as well for you guys. Um, this Sunday we have uh, live. Next Sunday is on Zoom. The Sunday after that is our Pride service, which you are all welcome to. Myron, you want to come? And we'll get you going. All right. So God, I thank you for Myron. And uh, I pray that you would speak through him, speak to him, and... Um, may your kingdom come and your will be done this morning, God, in whatever way that is. Amen. I, I kind of feel like it was my fault. I feel like we made eye contact and I distracted Eden, and then there was like the, the, slow, mo <laughs> the slow motion. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, one second as I just get set up here. What a, what a morning we've had already. Um, my name is Myron Penner, and uh, I am very grateful for the opportunity to uh, share this time with you this morning. And uh, hello, Zoom people. Uh, thank you for, for joining. Uh, I've got a, a few questions I want to begin with, and maybe there'll be time to discuss some of the answers after. Uh, and uh, it'll, it's interesting, we don't predict the settings that we come into, but the events of this morning might cause reflection to us as we uh, think through the, the, the talk that we're going to go through today. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, superheroes, uh, superpowers. Uh, did you ever have a favorite superhero? Did you ever have a favorite uh, superpower thing that you wish you could do? Uh, as a kid, uh, I loved Spider-Man. Uh, Spider-Man was my guy. Uh, I would... Yeah, yeah. I would um, uh, ride around on my bike in the prairies with my hands on the handlebars, and I would shoot webs, pretend to shoot webs out of my wrists. Uh, and I had, a, I had a bit of a Batman phase where I'd grab a towel and wrap it around my, my shoulders as a cape, uh, and I'd wear shorts and rubber boots, because those were my superhero boots. Uh, but Spider-Man uh, was my guy. Uh, you can play the game called The World's Worst Superpower, where you and your friends try and imagine what the world's worst superpower would be. Uh, that, can be that can be kind of fun. So think about these things. Uh, think about uh, your own answers to the question. If you had a superpower, what would it be? Uh, who was your favorite superhero? And what is it that, about their abilities uh, that attracted you uh, to, to them? Uh, here's kind of the plan for today. I wanted to just introduce myself to you a little bit, uh, give you a little bit of background. Uh, I want to talk a little bit uh, about power. Uh, I want to uh, have us think through some, some thoughts related to the concept of power, what it means to have power. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about um, uh, some, some events from the book of Ruth, uh, and that'll be kind of our biblical focus for today, and then we're going to finish up with some more uh, talks about power. Uh, so here's, here's me. This is my family. Uh, this is uh, me, in the, in, I'm the guy in the pink in the front, 
uh, if we can go to the picture of uh, my family. Yep. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. There we are. All right. Uh, so next to me is uh, my daughter or our daughter Paige. Uh, uh, she just turned 17, uh, passed her N driving test, and so she's uh, on the road. Uh, next, next to Paige is uh, my wife, Andrea. Uh, Andrea is a vice principal at MEI Elementary, where she was a teacher and now an administrator, has been there for a long time, and she's great at both. Uh, and next to Andrea is our daughter, Elle. Uh, Elle is 19 and is now home for the summer after a year at university uh, in Ontario. And uh, they all had commitments elsewhere this morning and couldn't join us, but uh, they are here uh, in spirit. So that's uh, my family. Uh, next slide, we can, so the, the, the job that I have is I'm a professor of philosophy uh, at Trinity Western University, uh, and also uh, I've been able to spend a couple years uh, as a visiting professor at UBC uh, in their department of psychology. I'm heading back uh, to Trinity right now. Uh, I just wanted to say too, uh, I acknowledge that sometimes when people see the Trinity Western logo, uh, it can be a little triggering. Uh, it can be a little uh, uh, reflective of a certain type of uh, Christian evangelical way of being in the world uh, that is not always uh, its best. Uh, and I just wanted to acknowledge that today. And I also wanted to say that, like lots of Christian organizations, uh, it gets very complicated. Uh, and there are, uh, I just want to say that there are lots of people uh, at Trinity who are trying to work to make that uh, a better place, uh, more inclusive and more just. And so I just wanted to, to present that today. Uh, so just a little bit about uh, the work that I do. Uh, I'm a philosopher, and uh, I use the tools of philosophy to uh, think through different religious concepts and questions. Uh, in particular, the last decade or so, I've been using my work to uh, connect with scientists and to try and understand uh, scientific practices and the ways in which science gives us knowledge about the world. Uh, and also, and this is more connected to my work at UBC, uh, but engaging with these emerging scientific methods that have been used to, to study religion. Uh, UBC is actually one of the best places in the, in the English-speaking world for using scientific approaches to study religion, and it's just a, a very rich uh, environment there. Uh, and so these are the, the kind of things uh, I get to do. I want to now spend a little bit of time using a little bit of you know, philosophical kind of questioning and thinking through uh, what it means to have power. Now, uh, I am a, a very huge Game of Thrones fan, uh, and I'm, I'm resisting every you know, inclination to go really deep into the weeds of this universe of Game of Thrones. But um, you can, oh, it's kind of hard to see these images, but on, on the right there is uh, Cersei Lannister, uh, and on the left is a, a, a character in the Game of Thrones universe called uh, Lord Baelish, otherwise known as Littlefinger. And here's kind of the, the, the quick setup. We'll just j j cut to the chase. Uh, they're having a discussion about power. Cersei is from a very powerful family, uh, army, vying for the control of the Seven Kingdoms. Littlefinger is kind of a slimy guy, not from uh, means at all, but has built up kind of an empire of wealth. Uh, and they're having a little discussion. And he's poking the, the, his finger at Cersei a little bit, saying, you know, sometimes people from rich families, they forget uh, a truth. And that truth is that knowledge is power. And he proceeds to tell her some family secrets that he thinks means that he has the upper hand. Well, they're traveling with uh, her bodyguards, her, her kind of armed entourage. And so Cersei says to her soldiers, seize him, cut his throat. And now you have the knife basically at the throat. And then she says, stop, I've changed my mind. Back up three paces. And the soldiers back, all at her command. And she looks at, at Littlefinger and she says, 
power is power, right? And what she means by that is that the ability to influence the future, to, to change the outcomes of the future in a way that suits your own purposes, the ability to change the, the, the outcomes, that's really where power resides, right? This capacity to bring about uh, or influence uh, a particular outcome is where power resides. And I don't think she's wrong about that. I think that actually makes a, a it's a good way to think about, it's one way to think about uh, what power is. Well, I think that we all have some powers, right? I think we all have the ability to influence certain outcomes in certain ways. But of course, it's always gonna be relative to a set of circumstances, a set of relationships. It's going to be, uh, there are gonna be times where we feel like we have lots of power there are gonna be times where we feel like we actually don't have any power at all. Uh, the first image there on the left, the, the A+, uh, that's just kind of a, a reminder to me about the power that a professor has in assigning grades. Uh, when I was a graduate student at Purdue University, I was able to teach my own course for the very first time. And I remember having this little bit of dread come over me when I realized that, holy, these students are gonna have a mark on their transcript forever but I'm the one that decides, right? Like, surely they have something to do with it, but it's something that I'm the one that determines what their grade is gonna be, and they're gonna carry that with, like, it's incredible amount of power and responsibility that goes with that. Uh, I mentioned our youngest daughter uh, just got her N, passed her driving test, and talk about feeling of powerless when you throw the keys to, your, to, to someone in your family and they get in the car and they go away. I have no ability to influence the safety of their trip. Like it is completely on them. I have zero capacity, zero power, no ability to, uh, to change uh, the outcomes there. Now, not everything is either all power or powerless. Oftentimes things are kind of in between. And that uh, right P there, that's uh, a logo for Purdue University where I went to graduate school. And the thing is, uh, when you apply for stuff, whether it's a job, whether it's uh, an opportunity to go to school, uh, some kind of position, some kind of grant, something or anything, you put your life in a box, right? You, you have some influence about what goes in. If you work hard, you kind of shine, shine up different objects in your life. You put it in a box, you wrap it up, put a pretty bow on it, and you send it off. And then you hope that the people who really have the power, right, whether to hire you or to accept you or to award you, whatever thing you're applying for, you hope that they take out these objects and they like it, right? That's basically what it is. And, you know, so it's not like I'm powerless in that situation. I worked hard to try and, you know, shine up those objects to put them in the box. And, and, but really, at the end of the day, uh, it's beyond my control, right? So often life is like that. We have a mix of things that we can influence, things that we can do, but things uh, that we can't. Well, uh, power can be used for, for good. Uh, power can be used for all sorts of things uh, for good. Uh, different situations where there's power differentials, right? Where you've got uh, older people working with younger people, uh, where you've got uh, service people working with those who need some assistance, right? Uh, power can be used for uh, all sorts of, of good ends and purposes. Uh, those of you who've had a great coach or who have been a coach of young people, who have been a teacher, uh, who have had great teachers, you see opportunities where people who have had power and, and authority have just used it in ways that have been for your flourishing. Uh, 
Again, uh, the, the person on the right uh, is uh, a professor of mine uh, from, from grad school, Jan Cover. And there were days, depending on the day, he kind of would look like Charlie Manson or, or, he, would look like, or he would look like Jesus. It was kind of hard to tell some days. But a uh, very, very smart guy, very kind man. Uh, and he was one of the people at Purdue that opened up the, shiny, the box of shiny objects that I sent to in order to get into grad school. Uh, and he, used his, he saw something in my application, and he used his influence and authority to accept me in ways that uh, changed my life, changed the life of my family, uh, and have been uh, something that we've continued to reap uh, the benefits for. So power, right? If you can influence things, it can be used uh, for good. But of course, it's not always the case, sadly. Uh, many of us have been watching the documentary Shiny Happy People. Uh, if you're not familiar with it, it's the story of the, the, the Duggars and kind of this uh, kind of militant homeschool movement founded by Bill Gothard and others. Uh, and it's uh, very sad. Uh, it's important to watch and to, to be aware of, I think, for, for many of us. Uh, but it's a very, very sad uh, tale of the abuse of power. One of the quotations from the, from the series that I, sticks out to me is how this homeschooling movement basically trained the, the, the father in each family to be their own cult leader uh, and to just use kind of a, an authoritarian power structure that is just uh, uh, very, very uh, sad to see, right? Uh, power uh, being used in ways. Uh, I am a I have strong socialist leanings. I think the government is a force for good in our life, or at least it can be. Uh, but sadly, governments also will wield power in ways uh, that, are d that wreak uh, destruction and devastation uh, on people. Um, well, what about, what about this guy? Uh, what kind of power does he have, right? Uh, what, what kind of things, you know, does this middle-aged, straight, white, cisgender university professor have in his world to be able to influence things? Uh, what about, if you look in the mirror on the right, what about you? What kind of power do you have? What kind of ability do you have to influence uh, things in your future, right? How, how are the, the, the different situations and contexts and places that we're in, where are they uh, able to, uh, to in influence uh, the future? Well, uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, narrative happenings in uh, the Book of Ruth. Uh, the, uh, the story of Ruth is maybe familiar. Uh, it's kind of set in this time. The way it's kind of presented in Hebrew Bible is it's uh, before, it's, it's after kind of the Exodus, but before uh, the monarchy of, of Saul and, and David. And uh, you have this, this setting, right, where there's famine in Israel, and this family uh, is destitute, and in order to provide, they leave Israel and go to adjacent Moab, where they have better prospects for, for survival. And uh, what happens is that when they get into Moab, the, the, it's a, a couple, man and wife, and their two sons, uh, and the sons marry uh, Moabite uh, women, right? And so they're starting to get established. But then uh, the dudes all start dying, right? Elimelech, the husband, dies. The two sons die. And you leave these three uh, widowed uh, women trying to determine uh, what is going to happen. And so uh, you have these, uh, these, these single women. Uh, they're all widowed. Uh, and they are trying to figure out uh, what the next steps are. Well, uh, Naomi, the, the matriarch now, she's like, well, my prospects are better in Israel. I'm going to go back home. 
uh, but she tells the, the daughters, daughters-in-law, you, do, you, you, don't, you do not need to come with me. Like, these is, this is your home, this, these are your people. Uh, you, you can stay, and I'll just make my way. Uh, and uh, one of the two daughters says, no, I'm, Ruth says, no, I'm, I am going to go with you. Uh, I will uh, bind myself to you. Uh, your, I will become part of your people, and uh, your God will be my God. And I, I will bind myself to you, Naomi, and we will go back together. And, uh, well, so they make their way, uh, and they migrate back to Israel, uh, and they are poor, uh, and they are traveling, uh, and they eventually make their way back to Israel. And Naomi goes back to kind of the, the area where she was from, where actually her, her husband, her former husband, had land. But in kind of the way land ownership worked at that time, it's not like she could just go, Oh, let's just pause and just send good thoughts to Eden. Oh. We could just have a procession and just kind of follow out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. Um, so, so they are back in Israel. They're trying to get established. And actually, you know, uh, there's land attached to Naomi's uh, dead husband, but it's not like she can just go and leverage that into wealth and opportunity. There's this whole way that land ownership works where it has to be claimed through uh, a relative and other things. And, it, and so they, they, they have nothing, essentially. Uh, Ruth goes out to pick grain in the fields, uh, and she picks grain in the fields of a man named Boaz, who uh, has you know, uh, land uh, and resources. Uh, and they begin to kind of get, get oriented. Well, this presents themselves actually with a very great opportunity. Uh, and the opportunity uh, is that Boaz is wealthy, uh, and he has status, he has resources, he has lots of power. Uh, it turns out that he's also a relative. Uh, he is uh, a close relative of Naomi's dead husband. And the way that this whole patriarchal kin redemption scenario works is that when a, a, a woman's husband dies, a relative of the dead husband is able to marry, marry into the family, acquire the widow as part of their, their and, and the widow's property as part of their new household. Uh, and it's its own kind of way of, of, you know, certainly carrying on the family line, but it's also a way of uh, providing some kind of, of means for, for widows, right? It's not as good as just giving them power and agency, but it's a kind of way of, of, of providing for, for widows. So here's what Naomi says to Ruth. Uh, and uh, I do, if, if you have uh, Will Gaffney's lectionary, and you, and, which is the, the text that you're following, and, and I, I strongly recommend getting that book and reading kind of the, the commentary that she has on, on these different texts. Uh, and basically, she, uh, Gaffney kind of presents it like, like Naomi's kind of grooming Ruth, right? And, and Naomi's instructions to Ruth uh, are basically, um, make yourself look and smell very pretty. Uh, and when it comes time, Boaz is going to be, it's harvest time, so Boaz is going to be at the threshing fields, uh, and he's going to be sleeping there. And so you go to him at night, and you present yourself to him, and you do whatever he tells you. 
and declare that we want him to redeem our family in this way. But basically, go there, lay down beside him, uncover his blanket, and do whatever he tells you. And Gaffney kind of says it kind of looks like Naomi is grooming Ruth here for this, uh, for this very, very vulnerable uh, uh, exchange where you don't really know what's going to happen because there's an incredible power imbalance. Uh, so Ruth offers herself to Boaz, and she does spend the night. And the text in the Hebrew scholars tell us is kind of ambiguous. There's turns of phrase that are used, which kind of suggests that maybe there was, you know, physical contact, sexual contact, uh, some type of, of, what we do know is that she spent the night and Boaz was pleased. He was pleased that she offered herself to him in this way. He took it as uh, an affirmation. And uh, he also, though, did respond favorably to the request that he redeem them through the acquisition of land and to marry Ruth, right? So, so by uh, the way that the text unfolds, uh, Naomi and Ruth uh, count this exchange as a success. Uh, the goals that Naomi had in preparing Ruth for this uh, seemed to have been achieved. Boaz was pleased. He promised to move ahead in ways that would secure their future, would redeem them. He gives Ruth some barley to take home to Naomi uh, that night so that they would have some, some provisions. Uh, and that's where chapter three ends, right? And so uh, they're celebrating, but they're still unsure about whether this is actually going to happen because there's a relative closer than Boaz who's able to actually legally uh, get, in, get in and uh, acquire the land of Elimelech and also having to marry Ruth uh, as an aside. So, power, uh, power and privilege. Uh, Boaz had both. Uh, he had power, he had the privilege that comes with it, uh, and the way we are presented in, this, in, these, in these texts is that he used it to lift up both Naomi and Ruth. He used his power in a way that would secure their future, though truth be told, he gets something too, right? He gets the land, and he also uh, gets uh, a wife, uh, a young wife. Ruth also used her power in a way to lift up Naomi, right? She didn't abandon her, right? She's a younger person. She has certain kinds of strength and resources that Naomi might lack. But she used that power to care for her and even to use her own position to present herself uh, to Boaz. And I think it's a really important uh, and interesting lens with which we can read biblical texts, with which we can analyze anything, really, uh, is when we're looking at, at, you know, either Bible stories or situations or historical events or even cultural events, ask ourselves, who, who has the power, right? Who has the ability to influence things? And how is that power being used? Uh, is it being used... Uh, to lift people up? Is it being used to encourage their flourishing? Uh, is it being used to serve ends that are not good in ways that we've seen power being abused, right? When we're looking at different situations, uh, who has the power and how is that being used? Because when I think when it comes to power uh, and privilege, uh, we are never more like God than when we use power 
and when we use the privileges that we have for the flourishing of people who lack both. I think that we are never more like God than when we use the power and the privileges that we have, whatever they might be, uh, for the flourishing of, of those uh, who lack both. Uh, one piece that's a part of that is I think it's important for all of us. It's important, especially for me, uh, I think, to have people around me who can speak truth to power, who can speak truth and help me see the ways in which I might be powered and privileged that I would not have thought of, or also ways in which they see the uses of my uses of powers and privileges that I have that might actually not be the flourishing for, for others, right? And so I think it's important for all of us to bind ourselves or to, to have people in our lives who, uh, who can help speak truth to our own uh, use of, of power. Uh, of course, I, I, as I read biblical texts, I see this kind of impetus all throughout the biblical narrative. Uh, Jesus, uh, we're told in Philippians 2, gave up divine privileges. That's the way the New Living Translation puts it. I really like that. Uh, for our flourishing, to lift us up. Uh, and I see this constant call th uh, through the biblical text for God's people to use their power to lift up those who lack it, right? There are strong injunctions about how you're supposed to treat foreigners with kindness, how you're supposed to lift up people who lack financial and other resources, right? And this, this, this call to, to be sensitive to the powers that we have and to use them for the flourishing of those who lack it and just to be sensitive to that. And so I think, I do really think it is the case that that's one of the most clear ways that we can image and reflect God's presence is by using power to lift up people uh, who lack it. I think this is Jesus' version of the good news. I, I have one of my favorite passages is from Luke chapter 4, when you see Jesus kind of announcing his public ministry, going into the synagogue, unrolling the Isaiah scroll to that very specific part where he reads, the spirit of the Lord is upon me and has anointed me to preach good news, right? And what is that good news? It is freeing the oppressed. It is healing the sick. Uh, it is releasing the captives, and it is heal giving sight to the blind, right? That's, that, is act like, that is good news to people who need uh, the, the, the resources of others to improve their life and their flourishing. And you see Jesus throughout his ministry, Jesus and his followers, doing exactly those things, right? That's, actual, that's an actual good news message. So I want to end uh, just with some questions uh, for us uh, in our lives and situations and relationships. Uh, where do we have power, and how are we using it? Uh, and I look forward to continuing the conversation. Thank you, Lord. Uh, Jesus, thank you that above all you thought of us. And as Myron was saying, you gave up your privilege. You emptied yourself, and you came to us as a man, fully human, fully God and the mysteries of all that that means and what it means for us. So Holy Spirit, I ask you to just uh, fill us this morning, send us out, and uh, Lord, that we would walk with you through the days of this week and just be talking with you as we go and, uh, and living life with you and with each other and with those that you put in front of us. In your name, Lord. Amen.